0: Episode 62 of the Pilot the Pilot podcast takes off now.
1: I'm John Zimmerman, Vice President at Sporty's Pilot Shop.
0: What is going on, AV Nation? and Welcome back to episode number 62 of the Pilot the Pilot Podcast. My name is Justin Seams, and I am your host. As you heard in the intro today, we are talking with John Zimmerman. John is currently the vice president of Sporty's Pilot Shop, and John has a great story that starts off with him just emailing the owner of Sporty's. be like, hey, I want a job. And guess what? He got the job, and he is still there today. John has a great story, and I really look forward to you guys hearing it today, and I really want to know what you guys think. Let me know what you think of the podcast. You can leave us a review on iTunes. You can check out our Instagram at pilot the pilot, Twitter at pilot the pilot, and please check out our Patreon page, patreon.com slash pilots, pilot aviation. I am going to be at Oshkosh this year. I will be there the 24th through the 26th. If you guys want to meet up, let me know. We'll try to figure out a place that we can meet up, or we can have a, a quick meetup at a booth, or uh, maybe we can do some fun things together. So uh, let me know if you're going to Oshkosh. I would love to meet all of you guys, all of the aviation and uh, make sure you get some stickers and some swag. So other people can see you as well. Aviation, i don't want to keep you any longer so without further ado here's john zimmerman hey john thanks for coming on the pilot the pilot podcast
1: thanks for having me great to be here
0: no problem I'm excited to talk with you i mean sporties throughout my career and just aviation in general like i've always associated sporties with general aviation so it is really cool to talk to someone that works in sporties and that has been around sporties for a while
1: yeah, well, you know, one of the things, if you don't know about Sporties, you quickly learn is that we're really just a collection of pilots who love to fly and have found a way to make a business out of it. So <laughs> we're always up for talking about airplanes and pilots and flying. So exactly. happy to be here. Well,
0: good. I'm glad. Let's, uh, before we start talking about Sporties and, every, and your involvement with them, let's talk about you. Let's talk about kind of why you started becoming a pilot, why you wanted to get into the aviation industry.
1: Yeah, I was really lucky. I guess, like a lot of people, I had a personal connection. My dad was a pilot, uh, just a general aviation pilot, not an airline pilot. But I grew up in the back of small airplanes with him. You know, from as as early as I can remember, flying around in Cessnas, uh, mostly Cessnas. I, I seem to remember a Cherokee Six, maybe somewhere in the mix there. <laughs> but uh, I had I had three brothers, so you know, we just pile in the back of the airplane and. And fly all over the place. And so that's my earliest memory of it. And, uh, you know, we'd rotate. So I'd get a chance to sit up in the right seat with my dad. I'd have to take turns with my brothers, obviously, but I remember that being just so neat. I I didn't understand obviously anything that was going on, but even I think at a young age, I appreciated there was something really special about sitting in that seat with that yoke and that throttle quadrant and the view out the window. And I just thought it was fascinating, but. You know, I got to be honest, It's as ridiculous as this sounds, it had not occurred to me that I could actually be a pilot. Right. Um, And so one day driving to the airport with my dad, I was probably 13 or 14. And he, uh, you know, I would just go hang out with him at the airport from time to time. And he said, you know, if you ever actually want to learn to fly these things and not just ride along, maybe we ought to, you know, try a lesson sometime. And I remember thinking, wow, I'd never thought of that. And that might be kind of fun. So, you know, <laughs> the rest is kind of history, but uh, I, I guess I just, I grew up around it. And yeah. so... Um, it, it's always kind of been part of my life one way or another.
0: It's cool because, oh, it's funny because you grew up kind of in an aviation home, I'd say, because your dad was involved in general aviation. He took you up in planes and you still didn't really think that this is something that you could do. Where I find that's a lot of people I talk to that aren't necessarily in the aviation world, they don't think they can become a pilot. A lot of them think, oh, I had to have twenty twenty vision and I have to go to the military. But it's interesting that even growing up in a general aviation family, you can still have that thought process of like, yeah, I don't think this is like... I don't know if I can do that and that kind of stuff. So it's interesting to hear.
1: Yeah, it's, it's I guess, a reminder that we in the aviation industry aren't always the best at inviting new people well, in.
0: No, definitely not. <laughs> um,
1: you know, I think, I think a lot of us try to do that. And I think overall the industry's gotten a lot better about that. Yeah. But, you know, there is kind of a secret handshake club uh, feel to it to outsiders. I think that once you're a pilot, you don't fully appreciate, um, e- even if it's not intentional, sometimes it can be pretty intimidating.
0: Yeah. I think, I don't think it's intentional at all that we like kind of shut, not necessarily shun other people, but how we're not maybe as inviting as we should be. I just think that we just get caught up in talking in the aviation jargon that someone can just see like, oh, well, I I don't know that. I don't understand that. And I can never understand that. But really, it's just like, no, I mean, it's not too hard to understand. Trust me, if I can do what I'm doing and talk about what I'm talking about, anyone can do it. So I think it's more of they just get caught up in, you know, they don't get, they just get caught up in their love for aviation and it's hard to kind of take a step back, be like, oh, you're new here. Let's, uh, let's let's bring you over here too.
1: Absolutely. And I, you know, I think the, the best advice is, I guess what my dad suggested there is just give it a shot, give it a mm-hmm. try. You know, I, I talk to prospective pilots all the time and sometimes uh, they'll have this attitude of, well, I'm not sure if it's, you know, the right thing for me, so maybe I shouldn't do it. And I always say, you know, it doesn't matter. This is not college. You're not in rolling in, you know, a four-year program with big bills, you can go take a lesson and see if you like it. right? Uh, or you can just go hang out at the airport and see kind of what it's all about and walk around an airplane. And I think there's a lot of opportunity for pe- people to do that and ease into it because it is intimidating. And yeah. while we could be better at welcoming people, we're never going to make the jargon go away or some of the technical parts of it so the best step i think is just to dip your toe in the water
0: i would agree i would definitely agree and it is just as easy as googling how to become a pilot or your local flight <laughs> schools and you know it, it is something that is surprisingly very easy to get into now especially now with google you don't the i was talking to someone that started flying in the 90s and i was like well how did you find a flight school he's like well i brought out the the yellow book the yellow pages and i was like what
1: <laughs> like people use those
0: i thought that was a door yeah. stopper. <laughs> But yeah, let's, uh, let's talk more about you and your training. So obviously you finally had that moment. You're like, man, I can be a pilot. Or I can do this. What was your actual training? Like what was kind of the next step?
1: Yeah. My training was in many ways, everything I would tell somebody not to do. You know, <laughs> I, I I made every mistake there was. Um, I learned to fly in high school, which was, which was really great because, um, it, it was kind of my passion. Uh, and it, Probably kept me out of some trouble, probably kept me focused, probably kept my grades up, yeah. definitely gave me a, a place to kind of find belonging and identity and all that. And so it was it was really amazing in so many ways that I had – I really never imagined until I'd done it, really, until years after. Um but my process wasn't great because, you know, I was in I was in high school. I played a lot of sports as a, you know, busy kid as as kids always are that age. So I could fly Sunday afternoons. That was about the only time I didn't have, you know, school or sports practice or something mm-hmm. going on. So
0: you're a weekend warrior and, then.
1: So I'm a weekend warrior. Yeah. And in Ohio, that's not real great with the weather, especially <laughs> oh in the wintertime. No. So I ended up taking almost two years to get my private license. Yeah. Um, and I, I never really, it wasn't start, stop. I kept at it, but you know, there'd be a month where I wouldn't fly because if it was, there was, you know, low clouds or gusty winds or ice, uh, you know, which there is in Ohio four months of the year, April, yeah, (laughs) yeah, I wouldn't fly. So, um, it was, that was, that was frustrating. And I guess I didn't, I didn't know enough maybe to be as frustrated as I should have been. I assumed, Hey, this is flying. This is hard. Um, and so there's going to be, there's going to be a process, but I now know that I, I did it, I did it wrong. I should have tried to train more frequently. I didn't have a good syllabus I used. You know, we, I sort of showed up at the airport and my instructor would say, today we do steep turns, you know. (laughs) Um, and, and so I, I really regret some of those mistakes. It, it took far longer than it should have. Um, I did eventually do it. You know, I soloed at 16. I got my private at 17. Dang. And, um, I When I went back to get my instrument rating a couple years later when I was in college, uh, I knew I was not going to make that mistake again, so yeah. I knocked that out in about two months because I was prepared, I had a plan, I studied, and I got right after it, so uh, I like to think I learned my lesson, just unfortunately, <laughs> it was the hard way.
0: I mean, that's flying, though. You learn from the the mistakes you make, you know, whether it's uh, crosswind landings, whether it's just, oh, crap, I forgot to run gumps and I almost landed with the gear up. So, you know, it's like yeah. you learn these things as you go and no pilot's perfect. Every pilot's going to make those idiotic mistakes. I mean, it doesn't matter how many hours you have, but aviation's all about learning as you go and kind of learning on the fly and looking back like, hey, that was really dumb. Let me try something different this time. What uh, did you do? Part 61 for your private then?
1: Yeah, I did. I learned at uh, Cincinnati Lunkin Airport, cool? um, it, Sunken Lunkin, as it's called. And there, was a, <laughs> there was a place that's no longer there called Cincinnati Flight Training Club, and it was just your classic, you know, uh, local flight school rental place. It was in an old A-frame house, and they had uh, some 172s and some, I think, some beach skippers and everything, oh, and wow. kind of your your classic. Flight school, some of the airplanes were in better shape than the others. Uh, (laughs) But um, it it was really a a typical training experience in Uh, a lot of ways.
0: Some of the planes didn't look the best, but they got the job done, right?
1: Well, you know, one of the lessons I learned early on is that there were basically two 172s they used for training. And one of them, the airspeed indicator was in knots, and one, it was in miles per hour. (laughs) And I didn't fully understand how what a challenge that is for a student pilot until I'd gone back and forth about four lessons in a row. And, you know, just when you think you got your airspeed nailed on final, then you look down <laughs> and realize you're in miles per hour, not knots.
0: Why is the stall horn going on? <laughs> <laughs> right.
1: So, um, yeah. you know, there were, there were some of those, some of those challenges, but yeah. it, was, it was a good spot and had kind of its own unique culture, like all flight schools do. So. Oh yeah. Without a doubt.
0: Now you, uh, so obviously you said that you kind of recognized the failures that you had in your private pilot training. And then you went to college when you were choosing to go to college, was aviation kind of a reasoning for choosing what college you wanted to go to, or was it just kind of wherever school you get into based on academics?
1: Yeah, it, it really wasn't a factor for me. I knew that I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I knew I didn't want to be a professional pilot. I knew, okay. I, did, knew I didn't know I didn't want to be an airline pilot. Um, I, I. I had kind of entertained that for a while as a kid, you know, uh, learning to fly, but, uh, talking to some people who were in the industry and just kind of researching the job. I knew that that's a great job for a lot of people, but it just wasn't what I was looking for. I had hoped that I could kind of find something in aviation. Mm-hmm. Um, but I really wasn't sure. So I, I went to college, uh, where kind of, I, I thought was the best fit overall for college. And I did, um, uh, you know, find a way to keep aviation going. I joined a flying club in college, which was a great experience, um, kind of a great way to get connected in a new place, but it really wasn't part of my calculation in terms of what what the right place to go was because, again, I, I just didn't feel like the pro pilot track was for me.
0: Right, and I love that you said that because part of this podcast what I like to talk about is that there are so many good jobs you can have in this aviation industry. You don't have to be that airline pilot that flies the, the A380 or flies the 780 87 it's like there are so many awesome aviation jobs out there whether it's with the sporties whether it's with just becoming a mechanic or you can even work at dispatch in an airline or be a weatherman for an airline it's like there's so many things you have to do so it's cool that you were able to recognize that at an early age because i'm sure there's a lot of pilots that are training right now they're like hey man i don't really want to be away from my family eight days at a time or four days at a time or sleeping in hotels all the time so it's cool that you were able to realize that right away and kind of be like let's see what else we can do in this industry
1: yeah, I think it's one of the biggest uh, misconceptions out there with, with non-pilots. I mean, listen, airline pilots, not a bad job. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, you get to fly great equipment, see the world, the pay is good. There's there's lots of good things to it, but there are so many other jobs in aviation. Um, you know, air traffic controller, like mm-hmm. you said, there's the weather side of it. There's the, the, the maintenance side of it. There's corporate flying. There's, uh, you know, government flying. There's so many different ways. Even if you want to fly, there there are so many interesting ways to stay involved that aren't necessarily airlines. So I always encourage people when they're thinking about uh, aviation is think about the aviation industry and don't just get locked into one particular track because – to me, one of the most rewarding things about this industry is the variety and how uh, you can kind of jump around and enjoy different parts of it. And it's all aviation, but there are some really interesting and different pursuits you can you can enjoy when it comes to aviation.
0: Yeah, without a doubt. And t- talk a little bit about how someone the, with the mindset of, hey, I don't want to be a pro pilot or I don't want to be a professional pilot how can they still keep aviation kind of in their life when they're in college? Is it for you was it going to the the airport and hanging out and doing some flight lessons or did you find another like a little community inside your college that also loved aviation kind of talk a little bit
1: about that? Yeah, I think the flying club was really was really important. Um I was in the uh what used to be called the Chapel Hill Flying Club in North Carolina. They've okay. since moved, but uh, it was a great flying club with I want to say five 152s and about five warriors and a couple moonies and it was an it was an interesting group it was an active club a lot of a lot of members and it was a great way to go to the airport get your aviation fix meet some new people in a new place uh, and so that was really important it was also a place where I really you know sort of grew as a pilot I I started flying the Warriors, which was a, a checkout for me because mm-hmm. I had only flown Cessnas, and you know, pretty similar. But it was kind of fun to try a new airplane. Yeah, without and, doubt. And then, uh, you know, later on, as I built more time, I checked out in the Mooney, and and that was an airplane that I, you know, I never would have flown a Mooney. I never would have even thought about it, but it was there. And you know, I got with a flight instructor and got my high performance and complex, and that was to me kind of a stepping stone that really. Showed me, I think one of the things I enjoyed was flying different airplanes and, and not collecting ratings for the sake of ratings, but I found that every time I flew a new airplane, I really learned more about flying and I think it made me a better pilot. And so that was kind of a fun thing for me is to step up into that and, and learn different, a different airplane, learn different avionics and kind of see a different part of aviation and, And different philosophies. So that was, that was really important. It's, you know, it's tough in college to stay connected to it. There's lots of different, you know, things competing for your time and money. But I think that's maybe where club environment helps um, because it's, you know, there's sort of a support network there and there's some regular social functions, even if you're not flying. So that was a great, again, that wasn't part of my planning. I'd love to say I picked that, but (laughs) I just sort of, I sort of fell into it and uh, that ended up being really great.
0: I'm so jealous that you just said you got the fly a Mooney. That's one of my dream planes to fly. I mean, a lot of people you either hate a Mooney or you love a Mooney based on the tail based on the look of the plane. <laughs> and I've always loved the way that it looks, but I'm about six foot three, and I've always been told that unless it's like a two oh one, you're not really going to have any chance of fitting in it
1: that that is for real. I'm about six two and and I remember taking my first real cross country in it you know longer yeah. than the one hour local training flight, and I took a friend from college and we flew i think out to the outer banks of North Carolina, not that long, but enough of a trip yeah. and we were we were both taller guys, and by the time we got to the airplane, we thought now I kind of get the Mooney jokes. You, know? they, <laughs> you can't beat it because we flew out here at you know, 150 knots yeah. on whatever, eight gallons an hour. It's an incredibly efficient performer. But uh, y- there's no free lunch, and so some <laughs> of that speed comes from being a little smaller. Absolutely, yeah. It's uh, one, of my, one of my dreams
0: to fly one, so I'm going to have to sacrifice some leg room to get up and fly it one day. Yeah,
1: absolutely. It's worth it.
0: Yeah. What were your friends like? Because uh, were your friends kind of like, dang, dude, that's so cool. You fly or were they also a lot of your friends? Were they also pilots as well? Or because I know kind of when I was in high school, my dad is an airline pilot and he has a friend that's an airline pilot whose kid was also in my high school and he was taking his lessons. I was like, wow, that's so cool. You're a pilot, even though I was involved in an aviation family. But I just like you, I always thought, no, I'm not a pilot, like I can't be a pilot. But I always thought it was so cool that he was doing that. What were your friends like when you were going through your training?
1: yeah i was the only pilot that i really knew uh, of my age i didn't have any friends at the time who were i didn't have any friends in college who were uh so it's funny most most often the reaction was hey that's awesome when can you take me flying (laughs) no when can i get a free ride (laughs) (laughs) there, there was very little you know wow you're weird or that's scary or stuff like that so it was almost all positive but you know what what you find i think and i know i found in college is that everybody kind of has their own thing you know they what what they're really passionate about what makes them who they are and sometimes you go back and forth before you settle on it but um you know i had a, a friend down the hall i remember my freshman year and kind of doing introductions and he says what's your thing uh, what do you <laughs> I mean what's you my thing too, yeah. you know yeah my name's john yeah. uh hi he said what's your thing you know what's what's it all about i'm like well, well i'm not sure that's kind of a deep philosophical yeah. <laughs> question he said my th- fencing that's my thing oh, that's it. you know one word. I'm in a fence. like, well, okay, that's, I've never heard of that. I'm into, <laughs> you know, airplanes, I guess. He's like, really? You know, well, that's a thing. That totally makes sense. So, so I guess, I guess we all have our interests and everything, but for me, it was, uh, it was kind of a fun way to meet different people because I didn't really outside of my, you know, my dad, I didn't really have a lot of friends or know a lot of people who were pilots. So uh, I always view that as kind of a fun thing though, kind of get you out of your bubble a little bit yeah
0: it's important to get out of your bubble especially when you're growing up and that's what college is for you meet people that are <laughs> within two seconds of meeting you go, what's your thing it's like uh, <laughs> I'm gonna go now you know
1: <laughs> I'm not judging you but I'm judging you. <laughs> yeah totally judging you right now man
0: <laughs> what what ratings did you get while you're in school did you get your instrument in commercial or did you just fly for fun
1: I mostly flew for fun. I got Mm -hmm. my, uh, I got my instrument, um, and I got my. I guess I got my multi-engine rating. I same thing. I came home from college one uh, Christmas break, and I, I, I wanted to knock that out. I had an opportunity to fly an Aztec a little bit. Oh, cool! And so I thought now's the time to get my multi. And uh, I remember studying up, scheduling ahead of time with the instructor, kind of making a plan. And I came home in my Christmas break and knocked it out, um, which was great. It was not without its ups and downs. I had an incomplete check ride on that. Oh not no, because it hasn't. Of, <laughs> Yeah, I wish I could say it was something I did. Yeah. I guess I'm. Wasn't, was it, a, was it the
0: Ohio weather?
1: It was not. The airplane broke on us. No, so in the middle of the check ride middle of the check ride the HSI (laughs) broke and so we couldn't shoot any approaches so Uh I had to come back (laughs) uh I don't want to say like a month later on when I found a way to sneak home for a weekend and uh finish the check ride then so it didn't totally go according to plan but uh, I knocked that out and then you know once I got out of college I sort of I always like to challenge myself as a pilot and try to learn something new so over the years, I pursued some other stuff. You know, I got my commercial, got my ATP, got my seaplane rating, got into helicopters a couple of years ago. Wow. Um, and not all of those things I keep up with. I mean, I don't think I've been in a seaplane since my check ride, <laughs> but, <have> the rating. <laughs> but it's a great learning yeah. experience. You know, you really do. Um, I don't know. I really, I really believe most of those ratings make you a better pilot. You don't have to have them, obviously. And, no. and anybody can collect ratings, but I, I think if you go into it with the right mindset, it's a, Great way to improve your skills as a pilot and just become more complete.
0: Yeah. And it's, it's cool. Like whenever you go take a check ride, they always say, all right, there's three ways this check ride can end. You pass, you fail, (laughs) or you have an incomplete. And whenever they say the incomplete, it's like, I stopped listening after pass and fail. It's like, no, (laughs) there's no way there's going to be incomplete. Nothing's ever going to pop up. But you actually had that happen. How frustrating and how hard could that, would it be? Because obviously you come in for that check ride, you have put so much time and effort into studying for this day. And in your mind, it is all done after this day because you're going to a check ride thinking you're going to pass. But when you, you come out with it and you get an incomplete as something that's totally out of your control, what kind of, what's your mindset with that? How do you kind of regroup? And then you don't know when you can schedule the check right again. Just kind of talk about if you, I don't know how long ago it was, but talk about kind of what that was like.
1: Yeah, it was frustrating. Um, I mean, it was, like I said, I was trying to cram it in on a Christmas break from college. And so I I knew that this was not going to get fixed and rescheduled with the examiner in time for me to do it. Uh, and that, that was frustrating. Um, but you know, it's, it's like everything probably, you know, there are stages to it. First you're, you kind of, you can't believe it's happening and then you're frustrated and mad and then you kind of get over and say, well, you know, what can I control? Yeah. And what I can control is I've done a, I've done all of the oral part and I've done about half the flying. So in this case, the oral was the hard part. It was a, it was a brutal uh, <laughs> oral with the, with the examiner. So having that knocked out made me feel a little better. Um, and, and so I knew I basically had to go back and fly a couple approaches and, um, so I just, honestly, I kind of let it go for a couple of weeks because there was no point in, uh, getting fired off about it or even trying to prepare again. And once I had it scheduled, then I, uh, I came back and kind of did a brush up flight with my instructor yeah. and went back out there and, you know, you just, you kind of have to have no memory. It's, uh, you know, somebody once told me it's like being a great three-point shooter in basketball. You got to have sort of no short memory and no conscience about it. So <laughs> just you keep know what shooting. Happened, yeah. yeah, right. You know, what happened last time is, is over and it's gone and there's nothing you can do about it. So all you can do is control today's check ride. So yeah. uh, let's go do it. I, I did do a long and thorough pre-flight and run up <laughs> before taking off to go visit the examiner. I remember that. I wanted to make sure every last box in that airplane was going to work that day
0: because you know he was going to be out looking and be like hey what's not working today
1: (laughs) absolutely yeah Yeah. what's got an in-op sticker on it now
0: when i was doing so i i lived in ohio for a while i went to ohio state i did aerial survey out of columbus ohio and then i got a job in northeast ohio flying freight flying in a and a caravan to build my time to get where i am now and when i was doing that obviously it's single engine but to fly jets and the job i have now i needed to get my multi-engine atp so Mm -hmm. I was, I was pretty much set up for the job. I needed, I, this job was all set in stone that I, all I needed now is my multi-engine ATP. And like we talked about Ohio weather, I would go to try to fly this little Aztec and the weather wouldn't work out. And I only have four days off. So it kept on getting pushed back and pushed back, had to find out that four day period. And it was kind of similar to the incomplete. When I actually got the check ride, I could only do the oral because there was three inches of snow and a cloud layer <laughs> at. 1500 feet because that's where it always is in ohio just this one little cloud layer that's as thin as could be but keeps you from flying but i did the oral part and i had to wait until the weather is better and just constantly wait and i agree with you you can only control like you can only be worried about what you control if i'm so caught up in this weather then aviation is not for me because the aviation's all about being able to just go with the flow and just be able to handle what's thrown at you and kind of go from there
1: yeah, I think that's probably, I think you're dead on there. That I may not have learned that lesson as well as I should have there, but it's, I mean, that really is the mindset of a pilot, right? Yeah. You got to... You got to focus on what you can control and block out, you know, be ruthless about blocking out the other stuff. So, um, you know, I mean, hey, an incomplete flight because mechanical, welcome to the life as yeah. a pilot. You well know, how many, tri- how many trips uh, with the family, how many airline flights, <laughs> how many flight lessons get scrubbed for that same reason. Yeah. So that's, that's sort of life.
0: And that kind of carries on to further flying. It's like, I mean, I can... Luckily, I don't, I haven't had too many incidents or any, I haven't had a technically an accident, but I lost my engine in a 206 and I had to land on the side of a mountain in West Virginia while I was shooting aerial photography. Mm. So, I mean, like it's just, you gotta go with the flow. All right. My engine failed. What do I do now? You know, it's like, all right, do my training. I make sure I fly on speed. I make sure I do the necessary calls. I make sure that the doors, like you just kind of go through your training. And if I was just so focused on the thing that I can't control, which was the engine quitting, then I would have been dead. I would have, I mean, there's, I, if, I had, if I wasn't able to think clearly, then I would not have been able to land the plane.
1: Yeah, that's sure. uh, that's probably the lesson that all pilots, it's a lesson you learn that you don't think you're going to learn when you get started. Yeah. No, that's true for me.
0: Without a doubt. And uh, aviation is very humbling, so <laughs> it will come. You will always kind of be humbled and have those lessons at you, usually when you don't want them or inopportune times. What was uh all right so you kind of talked about all the ratings you have but you also mentioned that you didn't want to be a professional pilot or not professional pilot cuz you can still be a professional pilot but not an airline pilot what were you looking for when you were out of college and kind of what aviation jobs were were in the back of your mind
1: Well I guess I got lucky again you know I was in uh in college and and I I thought maybe that I I wanted to do uh be an architect. And I went and followed an architect for a week and decided that wasn't it. And uh, (laughs) I did one summer interning uh, with a local congressman's office and decided that I definitely don't want to be involved in politics. (laughs) And so I was sort of trying to think about what was right. And and I remember uh, thinking, well, you know, I like airplanes. I mean, that's kind of one constant. Um, And so what I'll do is I'll just I just go work in an airport this summer and that'll, you know, make a little summer money here and and have some fun. And so I wrote a letter to Hal Shevers, the founder of Sporties here, mm-hmm. and said, you know, hey, I'm. You don't know me, but I'm a pilot. I learned to fly at the next airport over in Cincinnati, and I'm just looking for a job this summer at the airport. I'll take whatever you take whatever you got. And uh, so I he accepted. He said. Uh, welcome aboard. I said, wow, thanks. <laughs> like, you know, what? wow. Right. <laughs> wow. Um, <laughs> what am I doing? He said, I don't know, but show up on this date, you know, and yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll put you to work. Out. And so I worked uh, for a couple summers at, at Sporties, and, you know, I literally, my first job was digging a ditch with the grounds crew. And, uh, I worked on the line pumping gas at the FBO and had just so much fun hanging around airplanes and meeting pilots. Um, it was really a great, Way to continue my aviation education. Um, And at the end of my last summer here before going back to college for my senior year, uh, you know, Hal pulled me aside and said, Hey, you think you might want to come back after college full time? And I thought, wow, I, once again, John's being naive here. I had not really mm-hmm. thought about that. I didn't know that was an option. I mm-hmm. thought I was, you know, just, sorta, was just
0: digging ditches. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> and I said, wow, well, you know, I, I might, would you give me a, a few weeks to think about it? And I went back to college and, uh, after a few weeks decided, you know, Maybe I'll just go do that for a couple of years because I sure do like sporties and I sure do like working in aviation. And then, you know, I'll go get a real job one of these days. <laughs> and, uh, you know how that goes. So, yeah. you know, 15, 18 years later, I've never gotten around to getting a real job. So, you're
0: still looking for that real job? So, I'm still <laughs> looking
1: for the real job. Yeah. And so, again, that's, you know, not, that's not a career path or advice you could write in a book. But no. uh, I guess it worked out though, because it was really, you know, I knew what I liked and I liked being around airplanes. And so I got, great on the job training here i mean I, I worked with the maintenance team i worked at the fbo i worked in the web department one summer learned how to write html you oh, That's know. cool. i worked in the marketing department one summer so it was a tremendous you know crash course in all things uh, aviation and sporties and so while it may not have been the plan i actually don't think i could have drawn it up any better
0: that's yeah that's crazy i love how you just like eh. I'll talk to sporties. I'll go send them an email, I'll be like, hey, yeah. you don't know me, but I'm gonna work <laughs> for you. <laughs> and then you, you probably sent that email. You're like, yeah, who knows? He'll probably won't reach out. You just went on living your life. And then what do you they yeah. sent the email back saying, Yeah, it's a great idea. Let's do it. It's uh, it's one of those things that you don't know until you actually give the effort and put the time in and just give it a shot. It's like when we're talking about the shooting references, like shoot your shot, man. It's like go for it. It's like you don't know. The worst thing that they could possibly say is no. That could go for anything, for getting a job, pumping fuel at a line service. You could go from applying to a a freight company where you want to sit right seat to build your time, or even applying to the airlines. Aviation is one of those places. It's one of the very few or industries where you can apply as many times as you want and they're not going to fault you for it they're not gonna be like oh this guy again like why does he keep applying you know so it's uh, shoot your shot always like just go for it you never know what can happen
1: I, I couldn't agree more. And I think the the other advice that's attached to that is, you know, pick your, pick your people or your, your company you want to be associated with and don't be as picky about the job or the role. You know, yeah. I, I knew that, I knew that aviation was an industry I liked. I knew that Sporty's was a great company. I just, I had been a customer now. I used to yeah. come in here and buy stuff as a student pilot. I knew it, it just seemed like a fun place with good people. And so, I, I, you know, those were the parts that mattered. Yeah. And, I, you know, when I wrote Hal a letter asking for a job, I, I told him I said I, I don't care. I'll take whatever you got, you know. And I think that probably was part of it as well because that's what it is, you know. If you if you like the company, you like the people, you like the industry, you know, the job, the role that that comes that that evolves. But you you can always uh, kind of try to blaze your own path in that sense. But it, it doesn't matter if you don't like the people or the company that you're associated with. So yeah, 100% I think that's. Agree big part of it don't chase the role chase the chase the people in the industry that you like
0: yeah and you kind of have to pay your dues like you said you start out digging ditches and then you moved your way up you know you kind of <laughs> but it's the same thing with flying when i got my job flying aerial survey my very first day i show up i'm like cool i'm gonna get to go fly i'm gonna go fly. oh look that 310 over there i'm gonna go fly that 310 i was like looking at it and the chief pilot goes, on, and he goes hey new guy so I grabbed the broom and sweep the floor. So <laughs> my first like week was just sweeping flies off the floor. And this hangar was massive. It was a uh, Darby Dan airport at just uh, yeah. west of Columbus. So sure. I flew out of there and it was a massive hangar with just a million flies on the ground. It's like, great, cool. It wasn't until like two weeks later, that I finally got to fly, but it's just kind of how it is. You got to pay your dues. Everyone starts somewhere.
1: Yeah. I think that's maybe. I don't know, maybe something that people find a little frustrating about the aviation industry. You know, maybe that's less true in other industries now than it once was. Um, but I do think you know it can go too far. But I think within reason, it's really a great way of getting experience and learning something. I mean. I know I learned a lot about airplanes, just hanging around, fueling them, and helping the mechanics. You know when things would break, and I certainly got good at my airplane spotting. You know, working <laughs> on the line and watching yeah. them land. Is that a 182 or a yeah. 172 or a 206 or a 182RG? You know, there's little stuff like that you yeah. do pick up. So
0: exactly, Cessna retractable landing gear is still the weirdest thing to me on a like a 182. <laughs> it's like that just I don't know, it just doesn't look normal to me, but it works. <laughs> It's, what, what? Uh, it, oh. it usually works yeah it usually works just as long as it comes down everything's all right right
1: <laughs> yeah i flew a, i flew a cessna 210 for a few years and okay. and it, no doubt that sort of the trust but verify speech i i that gear i it, it never let me down but oh, i yeah. never trusted it either so <laughs> it's it, it doesn't look right because it may not be right yeah that's very true
0: so uh sporties obviously kind of what i talked about earlier I'm pretty sure everyone in the whole world knows what Sporties is. I mean, I used it when I was growing up. I ordered my headset from you guys. I've, I've pretty much looked at the catalog since I was young and, uh, just talk a little bit about Sporties. You've kind of, you said you've been there for about what, like 19 years or so, 15 to 20 years. What was, uh, talk a little bit about the history of the company, where it was when you started to where it is now.
1: Yeah, it's a great story. It almost sounds too good to be true, but Sporties <laughs> was founded uh fifty-eight years ago, literally in the trunk of a car. So wow. Hal Shevers, our founder and chairman who's still uh in the business every day here, uh was a young flight instructor and he would drive around uh if you if you know the Sky Galley restaurant there at Lunkin, he'd often sit up at the bar there and his pilots would come in he he'd have a radio that was his first product he found a real tone radio that was modified to receive aviation transmissions and he'd just sit there and sell you know ones and twos of those radios to pilots out of the trunk of his Studebaker (laughs) and uh, found some success there and started selling a few other things and as time went on the company he worked for he worked for a cincinnati milling machine as an engineer they decided that maybe he'd be a better pilot than an engineer for him (laughs) and so as as how would tell you the best thing that ever happened to him is that they fired him and uh (laughs) and so he went full-time as a flight instructor and he really sort of invented with a couple of other guys the concept of a three-day ground school so for years in the 60s he flew around all over the country you know in in hotel conference rooms doing three-day instrument ground schools oh wow and so he did that and uh, sold products. And it went from a radio to a couple products to a dozen products. And he opened up a small store there at Lunkin. And then he ran out of space there and uh, and then really started taking off. So in the 1970s, moved out to where we are now, the Claremont County Airport, just mm-hmm. east of Cincinnati. And has added on a couple times over the years, opened up a new building out here and become home. But it really is kind of your classic entrepreneurial story, you know, a, a flight instructor with uh, a feeling for, you know, customers because they were his friends and his students. And he thought there was there was a need for this business and he built it over time into, into what it is. Now, you know, over the last 20 years or so, like everything, you know, a lot has changed. And so we've transformed a lot. Uh, but really those same kind of principles still apply. I mean, we're still a company of pilots, for pilots, you know. Most people here fly. Uh, we've since branched out. We run a very busy flight school now. Mm-hmm. Uh, have an avionics shop, all kinds of other parts. So we're really kind of plugged into all parts of aviation, and that really goes back to, like I said, we're you know we're pilots. We love this. We're not doing this because, you know, we had some uh, exotic business plan to <laughs> maximize to the third decimal point. Yeah, you know, make millions we, of dollars. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we love aviation, and we've we've been fortunate to to find a, a great business in it. But that's really what it all comes down to is sort of sharing the fun and the passion of aviation with our customers. I know that sounds like you know corny or cliche, but like it's really <laughs> what it's about. We're we're just kind of all airplane geeks here that's awesome and uh and we lucky enough we get to work at the airport every day
0: that's really cool no i mean it's like yeah i would totally agree i could see sporties like that I've, i mean like i said i've used sporties to order headsets i've used sporties to order knee boards and i used it for the atp ctp course where you guys partnered oh yeah with, uh, was at um out of wilmington ohio and so i did that a couple of december's ago and uh, yeah, yeah. use sporties for a lot of stuff. So it's definitely cool to see kind of hear that it started so small and he actually got fired from his job and he's like, Oh crap. I got to do something now. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, let's focus on this. And he tried to just went at it and he was able to be successful with it. So that's really cool. What was, yeah. um, what was the difference between? Like what what did you first do when you got to Sporty? So obviously we talked about how you're digging ditches, but now you just graduated from Chapel Hill, you are a uh, a full-time full-time employee. What uh what do, what were you doing?
1: I, I got started out really in kind of the marketing department, so mm-hmm. I learned, um, you know, the, the catalog marketing process we at the time, and we still do send a fair number of catalogs. But I sort of came up through that, learned about catalog marketing world, and then the product development world, which is really what you know I enjoy most of all, and have kind of stayed in that area. So. We have an interesting setup compared to some companies, maybe, but you know, the same people that do marketing here are the same people that do product development, mm-hmm. for the most part, because we really believe that it all starts with having good products. You know, you gotta you gotta solve a problem, you gotta make something easier, safer, more fun, and then the best person to explain to the world why this is a great product is the person who created it so it's sort of a dual role there of product development and marketing and and i work with the team on that and really have uh almost from the time i started full-time like i said a little bit of background in website development which helped certainly in the you know uh early mid 2000s as you know e-commerce went from a interesting idea to a dominant way yeah, of, oh my gosh, of doing yeah. business yeah. <laughs> uh so that was great background to have for sure but um you know, I also, like I said, got some of the training, the classic old school print marketing side as well. And so, uh, it's really been a lot of fun to work on all that because it's, it's all about, you know, know, the way we do it is we don't do a lot of, you know, focus groups and stuff like that. We go flying and we go flying and, and think about how we're flying and what are the pain points or what could be easier or what problems could we solve? And then we try to develop a product that solves that problem. And then we try to go out there and, sell it to pilots to make their flying better. So that's really the process that I've been involved with for the last, you know, 15 or so years. Uh, and it's, it's just, it's a lot of fun. It's great. It's a, it's that aviation job that is not full-time flying, which is probably what I was, I guess, looking for all along. <laughs> you found
0: it. <laughs> That's very rare. I mean, yeah, you, you found a way to do it. Um, can you talk about some of the products that you've helped create and kind of, uh, I don't know if invented is the right word, but if you have found some of the products that have helped improve pilots' lives?
1: Yeah, I mean, I'll give you the standard disclaimer here that, as anybody knows, a product is developed by teams of lots of people. Right. So, of um, there's certainly a lot going on, but it's I, a couple that, you know, come to mind that I'm really proud of being involved with. One is, uh, the Stratus ADSB receiver. Oh, cool. Which, uh, got to work real closely with uh, folks at ForeFlight and Apario up in North Dakota. Uh, kind of a three way partnership between the three of us to develop really the first. Mass market ADSB receiver back in gosh, I want to say two thousand eleven, I mm-hmm. guess. You know, when ADSB was sort of this concept that everybody knew was out there but hadn't really fully understood what it was doing. Yeah. why do you know, I need that? Yeah. <laughs> the ADSB ground stations, there were like 60 of them. Now yeah. there's 600 It's crazy. And so um, you know, data link weather was a huge deal. You know, Garmin 496s and stuff like that had been popular for years, but it was pretty expensive, both the hardware and the subscription. And we had been reading some stuff on this new ADS-B system that was happening and, uh, you know, we just read that, wow, there's, they're really going to broadcast weather for free? That's weird. I wonder if we could get something that would, you know, receive that weather and wouldn't have to be TSO'd and installed in the panel. And yeah. um, so we worked with Four and Apario, great partnership there to launch a Stratus. And that was kind of a, you know, transformative product, just, you know. Thousands and thousands of pilots flying with those and obviously lots of other ADSB b receivers now. But I'm really proud of that because it, I, I believe it has increased safety in aviation. Mm-hmm. Oh, you no know, doubt. Ter- technology by itself doesn't make us safer but if you use it well it can and and i I have no doubt that more pilots than ever before are flying with data link weather and i think that's just really good for safety i think if you're flying cross country you are a safer pilot if you have data link weather so that's been really great to be associated with that project
0: yeah without a doubt i mean i when i flew single pilot freight i mean i had a garmin 430 and a 530 with sirius xm weather on it Mm -hmm. and i guess saved my life tons of times like oh it looks really red i'm not going in there it's (laughs) like let's go around or let's land here and it's like i mean it just prepared me for kind of what was going to happen. And then before I take off, I could just glance out and take a look at what's going on. Or even on flight, you could load it up on Flight and get an idea of what it was. And then just as long as you knew how to use it, if you knew that it wasn't real time and you could kind of figure out a trend of where the stuff's going and what's getting bigger, what's getting smaller, you could really use it. And it was a very, very important tool for a freight pilot. And like you said, any pilot, it doesn't matter if you're just flying your 172 on a little cross country, go to the beach, pull that weather up, see what's going on, you know?
1: Yeah, I think it's I think it's probably the biggest safety improvement since you know GPS came along. Yeah. Uh, sa- same type of thing. You know, GPS doesn't absolve you from your responsibility to be a good pilot and to know where you are. And you know, Daylink weather doesn't make a decision for you, but boy, it sure may, it helps you make better decisions. Yeah. Um uh, So that's, gonna- that's been.
0: I was going to ask you what, so you kind of, you've been in with sporties a lot. Obviously you've seen kind of trends and things that have made aviation safer and some things that haven't made aviation safer. What would you say is kind of the number one thing or tool or product that you've seen come out, whether it's through sporties or whether it's something completely different in the aviation industry that's completely revolutionized it and changed it?
1: Well, we like to joke around here that the original breakthrough was the nose wheel.
0: <laughs> and the That's a great from, answer. Yeah.
1: The, the move from tail draggers to, you know, tricycle gear airplane. And I fly tail draggers and love them. So wow. I don't mean this as a knock against tail wheel airplanes. They're great. But, you know, the stats show that a lot of a lot of airplanes get bent when the wheel is in the back versus the front. So that, that might get my first nominee, you know, the yeah. Cessna Landomatic landing gear. But, um <laughs> I think there's no doubt that, I mean, GPS has got to be up there. We all take it for granted now because our cell phones have it yeah. and everything has it. But knowing where you are, where you're going, how fast you're going uh, is just so incredibly revolutionary. Um, you know, I'm I, when I started flying in the 90s, uh, the first airplane I flew had a Loran, had a Bendix oh, King Loran, and I thought it was unbelievable because <laughs> I knew where I was, unless you went in a cloud and it rained and then it quit. <laughs> um, and then you know, portable GPSs start coming out from Garmin, the you know the uh, GPS ninety five and the GPS three pilot and the one ninety six, two ninety six, and that's just all those plus obviously the panel mount stuff like the four thirty, five thirty. Yeah. I think it's easy to take for granted that. You know, I remember spending so much time in my instrument training practicing, you know, VORs and NDBs and, and so much of what you're practicing is figuring out where am I, Yeah. you know, and, and now you don't have to ask that question. And you also, it, it unlocks so many other things like terrain alerts, you yeah. know, you look at the record of airlines flying perfectly good airplanes into the ground 20, 30 years ago. It was a lot and it just hardly happens anymore because, of you know TAWS and other terrain learning systems that are enabled by GPS that's just a that's a huge safety benefit so i think you can't overlook GPS
0: yeah no it's definitely it's increased our situational awareness like you said you know where you are and it's funny when you're talking about loran it's like I, when i was getting ready to take my ifr checkride i was reading the jet book and i was like looking at it studying for it and then all of a sudden i turned a page and it was like two pages on loran and i called my friend <laughs> and he was like you never told me anything about this like i had to know this before my exam he goes people have not that in forever it's like it's been shut down i can guarantee you they're not going to ask a question about it i was like all right cool thanks (laughs) but yeah i mean times are changing like all like like you said, Loran was such like a breakthrough for knowing where you were, but now a GPS. And it's just like, I fly a plane with a G5000. When I first started mm-hmm. training, I was flying a plane that didn't even have a GPS in it. It was just VORs. And it's just, it's crazy to see where we've come and kind of the information that we have and the information that we can use to provide safer flying and just more situa- situational awareness of where you are. It's incredible.
1: I think one of the things that's a great, you know, you know, trend that goes along with that is it hasn't just been new airplanes and expensive avionics, right? Yeah. I mean, uh, a lot of times innovation like that happens at the high end. But you think about the power you can get out of a smartphone or an iPad app um, with a you know an ADSB receiver. You know, anybody, almost anybody flying can have access to that technology. It's not just limited to a brand new Cirrus with a G1000, you know. So I, I think that's huge. And that's, again, something I think we're really proud of at Sporties is to play a small part in that of sort of remembering the portable avionics. Remembering, you know, most of our customers rent an airplane; they don't own an airplane, so mm-hmm. they don't they don't have the choice to upgrade their avionics. It's not their it's not their avionics panel to upgrade. Right. So the ability to have some of this life saving stuff like data link, weather, terrain alerts, traffic alerts, moving maps, and have that in a relatively inexpensive portable package, I think, is a huge piece of it.
0: Yeah, without a doubt. So we talked about kind of the the most important kind of tech or product what's kind of the what do you think the future for aviation is where do you think the the future lies do you think it's going to be single pilot stuff with uh, automation or do you think we're going to still see two pilots for a long time
1: i think we'll probably see two pilots at least on passenger airplanes for mm-hmm. a good while i mean there's no doubt where the trend is going you know if you rewind 60 years um, you know, what, a, a DC-7 would have had a a, right, a a captain and a first officer and a second officer and a navigator and a flight engineer yeah. and a radio operator, you know, and then, you know, we started picking those off and then it was three and then the flight engineer disappeared. So there's there's nothing necessarily new about that trend. Um, but, uh, you know, I I think what we've seen maybe a little bit of a hint is the drone market in the U.S. Mm-hmm. where... The break is regulation, not technology, yeah. and what 's possible and what 's smart or what 's conservative from a safety standpoint are not the same and I think the potential is is there, but I think rightfully so, the FA is going to move fairly slowly on this, like and normal. I think like normal, <laughs> yeah. and you know they get a lot of grief for it, and I yeah. give them a whole lot of grief myself, but I think in, at the end of the day, um, more often than not, they have the right approach there that their goal is to have uh, yeah, I mean, they've won in a large sense. You know, it's tough to say this, but you got to give the FAA credit. We have, you know, recent 737 headlines notwithstanding, we have the safest aviation system ever. Yeah, we have maybe the safest transportation system in the history of the world. You know, there's hundreds of millions of people get on metal tubes and fly 600 miles an hour every year, and essentially statistically, almost zero of them die. Yeah, that that's that's like you know, talk about take it for granted. That's an incredible achievement. And so I think it's it's probably understandable that the FA wants to move slow and not jeopardize that. Um, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if there were some demos of some uh, things, maybe especially like, as you mentioned, in the freight world, you know, some of the smaller freight feeders, if they started playing around with, you know, pilot monitoring versus flying or even mm-hmm. an a, a unpiloted or remote pilot option there, that wouldn't surprise me if there was some of that. Um, I think you're you're going to start to see some of the, those things happening in the next few years here. But I still think most of those are going to be test cases. You yeah. know, the, the, the boosters for the, you know, vertical takeoff and landing urban mobility stuff where, you know, I can order up an Uber Air just like order up an Uber car <laughs> and it's going to be a remotely piloted, you know, tilt wing thing. I mean, it, it's very appealing, but I just think there's so many – day-to-day problems that the boosters overlook or, or don't yeah. want to, uh, you know, it's, it's, there's a lot more to it. I mean, as we know, as, as pilots, it's not always a technical challenge. It's the, it's the local politics challenge, yeah. you know, where are you going to land those things? Um, you know, there, there are still neighbors who complain about noise. So I think it's, it's easy to overlook how many challenges there really are there and they're not all technical. So
0: no, I, definitely I agree. Think-
1: I think it's going to be an interesting next, you know, 5, 10 years. Certainly the technology is, is really interesting, and there's some, there's some neat stuff coming. But I'm probably on a little bit longer timeline than, than some others on when pilots really disappear from the cockpit.
0: Right. I think that maybe my generation, I'm about 29 years old, and I think maybe my generation might be the last kind of like full-time <laughs> pilots. Because mm-hmm. like you said, the technology is there. I mean, techno- like it's only going to get better. We're going to find ways to do it safer, become more reliable, and pilots are becoming expensive. And that could be mm-hmm. one of the downfalls: is how how much money we are we we want and how much money we ask for because airlines are cheap. You know, aviation they yep. want to be as cheap as possible. And if they can find a way to create an airplane that's going to keep a pilot from making five hundred grand, it's like they'll do it. So I think that there's definitely some motivation for the airlines and for everyone to do it, but. I think it is still a little ways off, like you said, hopefully at least, because I want to fly at least till I'm like 60 or 65. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I'll tell you, you know, we, we have a, a really strong training business here with both our flight school and our online courses that we sell. And, you know, what we're seeing in that end of the market is as strong as it's been in 25 yeah. years. So, I mean, I mean, obviously you read all the headlines about airline pilot hiring and all that. Um, and that's, that's for real, but I think I think what that shows you is that there's yeah there, there's plenty of room left for manned aviation in this world. Absolutely, there, there may be some some niches out there definitely that maybe move a little faster. But um, you know, pilots or passengers like to get on that airplane and see a human being. They want to shake a hand,
0: you know. They want to they want to hear <laughs> that old pilot voice, that the dude with yep. the mustache. And <laughs> Absolutely, <laughs> but, yeah. and yeah, I, I agree with you. I think that aviation, general aviation, is doing better than it's have in the last twenty years. You know, I think. 2008 and just the 2000s ever since september 11th really put a damper on general aviation but i feel like we're finally now just starting to get out of it and hit it full stride there are more kids that want to become pilots there's more influencers online whether it's podcasts whether what steve doing on insta on youtube and all those those just creating more excitement more people are going to oshkosh more people are going to sun and fun and i just love what's going on in the aviation community these days
1: I agree. I I think uh, you know there's there's been some bad days in aviation, no doubt. But there's a lot going right right now. There's yeah. a lot of opportunities. Uh, there's a lot of fun to be had. There's a lot of great people in aviation. Absolutely. So we're as we're as bullish as we've been in a long time. Know, it's a great, it's great time great. to
0: be. Finally, we finally made it. Yeah. <laughs> I remember when I started my training, uh, my flight instructor is making like ten thousand dollars a year. He was like twenty nine. He couldn't get a job with Great Lakes because they weren't hiring anyone because they had too many pilots. And it's like he was just like why do you want to like what are you doing it's like even my dad's friends who are pilots are like why are you training to be a pilot this is the worst career you could ever do but it turned out that time was actually the best time for me to start my training and it put me at the front of the line for the pilot shortage so it's just you never know with this industry it's crazy
1: yeah for sure you you got to hang on sometimes but that doesn't yeah (laughs) but uh a lot of times that pays off yeah like
0: we said earlier you got to go with the flow
1: take what you get hmm
0: well perfect well i got a quick little rapid fire section here for you it is okay uh, i don't really know the questions i gonna ask so we'll kind of go from there but you say that your quickest and the first thing that comes to your mind you ready i'm ready what's your favorite plane sorry what's your favorite plane you've ever flown
1: favorite plane i've ever flown pilatus pc12
0: hey there you go what is same what is <laughs> your favorite plane that you've been a passenger on
1: wow so many options there i'm gonna to have to go with a 206 on float.
0: okay that's
1: cool you got me on that one <laughs> yeah
0: <laughs> what is let's see what is your least favorite plane you've ever flown if you have one
1: uh, i'm probably gonna get some hate mail for this but <laughs> Cessna Skymaster, i didn't like it at all okay
0: there you go yeah you might get some hate mail <laughs> <laughs> what is your favorite airline
1: Delta. I live in Cincinnati, so I don't have a lot of choice. But yeah, no I, I have to say, I, I do. I do think they do a good job.
0: Do you have a least favorite airline?
1: Boy, I've uh, I've had some rough time with United. So. Okay. I have probably don't have nearly as much experience as I have with Delta living in Cincinnati, but I I don't have as good a batting average.
0: I feel like I'm really rare. I I enjoy United. I haven't had one issue with United. So maybe it's coming. Maybe I'm just (laughs) I'm hitting a thousand right now, and I'm about to go in my slump. (laughs) What is the ugliest airplane you've ever seen?
1: You know, I can't even remember the name of it, but I was at Aero Friedrichshafen, the show in Germany, mm-hmm. a couple years ago, and they had some type of English, like, 50s, 60s airliner, and it had, like, a two had like an upper deck cockpit, uh, <laughs> but it, it wasn't that big. It was, like, smaller than a DC-3. It had two engines, and I'm going to have to look it up. But I it think was, I've seen a picture. I think I know what you're talking about. It, it is an unfortunate airplane. Uh, it's kind of lumpy and not very aerodynamic looking and uh, just obviously built by the engineering team with no input from the marketing (laughs) (laughs)
0: yeah that happens sometimes what would uh what would be your aviation mount rushmore for pilots aviators just people that have contributed to the aviation community or just the aviation world
1: well uh you know i gotta put charles lindbergh up there i mean if you if you haven't read his biography you should because it's hard for us in modern times to i think understand what an unbelievable event that was yeah. and how and how that totally and completely changed aviation forever so um i'd, I'd certainly certainly put him up there I, you know i just i'm just going off gut feel here bob hoover to me was i remember as a kid i mean watching him do shows or an upside down <laughs> i mean just unbelievable. incredible yeah. so he would he would get a nod for me as well i mean gosh there's so many though yeah. i mean so many mil- military pilots you'd have to put up there right it's a hard question Orville and Wilbur, but those are two I'd put up there.
0: Oh, that brings up a good point. So you have lived in Ohio and North Carolina. (laughs) I'm from North Carolina. I'm born and raised in Charlotte, North Carolina. I'm a huge North Carolina guy, and I went to school in Ohio. So I kind of have a similar – kind of maybe a similar thought to this. But where is the true birthplace of aviation?
1: So I may be biased by my home state, but my feeling would be Ohio (laughs) is the birthplace of aviation – and North Carolina was a wonderful laboratory to experiment in, but I have always felt, and maybe I've just spent more time here, I've always felt that the people, the community is much more rooted in you know aviation and the birth of aviation here in Ohio than North Carolina but what do you think
0: uh I'm I'm, like I said I'm a North Carolina guy so I see it
1: as
0: (laughs) yeah Ohio was the birthplace of the two creators of aviation but they realized that they needed to move on to brighter pastures and windier skies to go make this really happen but I could see both both things and I it's funny when I was growing up, when they put the, the state quarters and our license plate always said birthplace of aviation. But I guess yeah. North Carolina and Ohio had a lawsuit and now we are not allowed to claim birthplace of aviation because the Wright brothers were born in Ohio. We just have to say first in flight now. Right. Yeah, <laughs> so balance. maybe you guys won with that. I don't know. But yeah, <laughs> that was, uh, two things that I would always get not necessarily fights, but arguments about would be where the birthplace yeah. of aviation is and that. And also it's a soda. It's not a pop. <laughs> it's like the first name is soda. It's not pop. So, that's the two things
1: I'd always argue with. (laughs) I got to disagree with you there. I know. I I grew up in Atlanta as a kid, and so it's just Coke. Coke can be. Oh, man.
0: So, yeah, you got Coke. Coke is anything carbonated. Coke can be sprite. (laughs) Yeah, we are a very diverse country. (laughs) (laughs) So funny. But, yeah. All right, let's get back to the rapid fire. What is your uh, favorite airline livery?
1: Uh, I probably. You know, just old school, but I love the old British Airways, kind oh, of the yeah. nineteen eighties British Airways, blue and white with the red trim.
0: For sure. What is your least favorite livery?
1: Oof, there's unfortunately a lot on that. I, uh, <laughs> I some of the Spirit ones that are like yellow and yeah, and not a fan of yellow. The bus, yeah, it's a, the, a little yeah. too much for me.
0: Yeah. yeah, I would agree. It looks like a school bus sometimes. What is one aviation accessory you have to have on you at all times when you go flying?
1: Um probably probably an iPad. iPad. I, I jump I jump around a lot of different airplanes, so that's sort of my constant. That's my flight my charts my everything yeah agreed
0: mine's sunglasses if i don't have sunglasses on i'm pretty much like i meo myself yeah. I'm like
1: no nah, i can't go <laughs> <laughs>
0: it's like it's not worth it i'm just sitting there squinting it's like
1: <laughs> yeah, it's not happening
0: yeah uh let's see what else do i have there was one more i had on top of my head but i can't think of it right now so congrats you have sir oh i got it all right you are taking an airline you have a quick connection connection and you need to get some food what's your go-to airline food
1: Oh boy. I'm kind of a barbecue guy. All right. uh, and so I'm going to look, I'm going to try to find the local barbecue joint, which a lot of airports have. They do. So that's, that's what I'm looking for. If I can find it. I thought
0: you're going to say skyline being from Cincinnati. No. I was like, no, no. <laughs>
1: <laughs> never no, yeah, Only no. one place to get that. Yeah, good thing that's not in airports.
0: <laughs> well, perfect. You have answered all the rapid fire questions you have survived. I only have one more question for you. And that would be, Someone comes up to you and someone comes up to you at Oshkosh or and fun and they're, Hey man, like I, I love aviation, but I just really don't want to be a professional pilot. I don't want to play, be an airline pilot. It's like, what should I do? What route should I go? Or like, how should I go about that?
1: Yeah. My advice would be to hang around the airport and find some type of aviation mentor. Mm-hmm. I think aviation is one of those fields that it's impossible to know the ropes, even with Google and YouTube. You know, there's just, there's something to be said for a personal experience. So find somebody, um, doesn't even have to be in, you know, the same exact career path you're interested in, but find somebody who can, be an advocate for you, or even not at that so much just as a sounding board. I think, I think a a mentor and a connection and just hang around. Like I said, I mean, that's, we're, we're biased by our own experience, but that's sort of how I fell into it is just hanging around the airport and getting a feel for it and learning about parts of the industry I never knew existed. So, you know, be open-minded and, and, and sort of sample all that aviation has to offer.
0: I would agree with that. I think having a mentor is huge because, all the jobs that I've had have been based off people I've known or people that have mentored me. It's all aviation is one of those things that it's, it's who you know. It's not what you know. And if you know someone that works at American Airlines, you know, the chief pilot, you might have a better chance of getting hired. So, I mean, it's, it's one of those things hang around, create those relationships, foster those relationships. And the earlier, the better. So I definitely agree with that. Well, perfect, John. Thank you for coming on the podcast. Uh, We can debrief a little bit afterwards, but I think it's just great to tell a story of not necessarily going down the airline route and finding a job and finding a great job that really makes you happy and one that you love to do. And I thank you for coming on and sharing your story and telling a little bit more about Sporties and what you do.
1: It's been great to be here. Thanks for having me. Perfect.
0: No problem. And with that, episode 62 is a wrap. Aviation Nation, thank you so much for listening to today's episode. As I said in the intro, I will be at Osh this year. Please let me know if you're going to be there. I would love to try to meet everyone in the Aviation Nation. And I'm looking forward to going to Osh. Last year, I was able to go for probably four or five hours. I drove up from Chicago and drove back same day. This year is going to be a different story. Hoping to be there for three days. I'm hoping that I can plan some really cool things. It just has a lot has to work out. More details will be coming as the time goes on. But please, Plan on being at Osh, let me know if you're gonna be there. I look forward to meeting everyone. Avi Nation, with that, that is all I have. And as always, happy flying.